Hello, everybody. This week's guests are Sarah Fader and Aaron Smith. They are both mental health bloggers, both at Stigma Fighters and CulturalSavage.com's websites that you can go to if you want. Also, there was a couple weird technical issues, so if this one sounds a little funny, that is why. Also, they have kids, and you can hear their kids in the background sometimes, and that's fine because they're doing a good job parenting all the time because that's what that's a real job. Me, I'm just an idiot. So I hope you enjoy the interview, and you can go to patreon.com slash waywardwordsmiths if you want to give me money. Let's just, uh, can we please just do it? <laughs> Thank you. Hello, thank you for joining me. Um, Sarah Fader and Aaron, what is your last name, Aaron? Aaron Smith, thank you very much for joining me today on Positive and Negative. Um, you both work, well, Aaron, you've written for Stigma Fighters, and Sarah, you founded Stigma Fighters. Can you talk a little bit? about the process of founding it and for Aaron writing for it and how you started doing that. I started blogging in 2009 and I primarily wrote about living as a mother with two, well, one small child at the time. And it was just a way for me to get my feelings and thoughts out. And I've been writing since I could hold a pencil. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, I have, stories from kindergarten about princesses that are at my parents' house in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I remember writing um, on my mom's brother electronic typewriter and a Macintosh Plus <laughs> computer. You know, things yeah. changed over time. Yeah. I wrote for a while and there was, there was always something missing for me in blogging and what was missing is I felt like I had a secret. And sure. growing up in the 90s, for me, I did not want to show my freakish nature. I did not want to show that I had panic disorder. I did not want to show that I was suicidal because people would think I was weird. And yeah. the intrusive thoughts that I had in high school were very frightening to me, like imagining slitting my wrists and lying in a pool of blood. I didn't mm -hmm. want to think about that. And my dog finding me. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm completely insane. And I just felt like even though OCD and depression and panic ran in my family, I thought I was completely crazy. And okay. so I feel like um, now the dialogue has changed, but it took a while for us to get there. And so when I had children, I grew up and I had children. And, um, well, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. So in high school, I really suffered. And I went to performing arts high school, the fame high school, right, in New York. <laughs> and I ironically was a really good actor because I pretended to be normal in quotes. Sure. And anything that I was experiencing that was depression or anxiety related, I put into my scenes. So I did... Uh -huh a scene from Anne Frank and everybody was like, that was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I wanted to kill myself. So that's <laughs> what I mean. I'm like, that's yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. And yeah. they were like, that was incredible. I'm like, yeah, I want to die. So that's why. Um, so, you know, and the, and the dramatic scenes were the ones I was the best at because I was so in, in pain, you know? Yeah. And so basically what happened was, um, I finally, when I was 18, I was exhausted and I went on Prozac. I had this memory of sitting in the psychiatrist's office 
and the psychiatrist was like this weird Scandinavian woman, and she was like, you want to go on Prozac or Zoloft? And I was like, well, one of my parents is on Prozac, and the other one is on Zoloft, and I think maybe Prozac. And I chose Prozac out of nowhere. <laughs> like, like what, who, sure. gives, who gives the person in your office, like, the chance to decide their medicine? That's weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is interesting, and, yeah. And then it was weird because at that time, the pharmaceutical companies were all about those little boxes of samples. They were like, here's a box yeah. of Prozac. And generics were not even a thing. They were like, uh -huh. brand name, motherfucking Prozac, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, and the other thing is, I had a therapist who, like, when I was 15, I started seeing a therapist, and she, I remember, she looked like an owl. She was, like, old, and she was constantly trying not to fall asleep on me. And I was like, I'm that boring. Oh, right. I'm like, this is really helpful. I feel very mm -hmm. heard. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to her, I wish there was a pill that could make me feel better. And mm -hmm. that pill is obviously called Prozac, right? And, yeah. <laughs> but like, that was not given to me as an option. And she, sure, sure. Right, and she was like, no. well, you know what? Um, no magic pill is going to take away your depression or no magic pill is going to take away your anxiety. And I was like, yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is in my head, right? <laughs> and um, But anyway, eventually I... I did, I did go into the psychiatrist's office at 18 because I was mentally and physically exhausted from literally mm -hmm. vomiting every day mm. from panic attacks. Like, I would wake up in the morning, yeah. be so anxious that I just vomited, yeah. you know? And that's the thing is anxiety is so debilitating and people don't understand, right? Yeah. So eventually I was, like, physically and emotionally exhausted. I mean, I got mono in high school from being so depressed and not eating for two weeks. Like, whole horrible, horrible things that I don't wish upon mm -hmm. my worst enemy, right? So mm -hmm. I went um, into this, you know, psychiatrist's office, like, pleading for help, basically. And I went on Prozac, and I had this really weird memory of, like, having the Prozac cap capsule when I'm 18, putting it in orange juice, like, opening it up and putting it in orange juice... Because you, I had to go, like, she was like, you're going to drink half of the orange juice so that you're taking five milligrams. And yeah. then the other half, right? And I, and I remember even on that small dose of Prozac, because that was the first time I'd ever taken an antidepressant, I, I remember walking down the street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and looking at the trees and thinking in my head, oh, this is what normal people feel like. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the thoughts in my head were actually completely blank. Like, there wasn't all yeah. this garbage happening, and, and I could actually think clearly. And yeah. that's one of the misconceptions about medication, is people are like, it changes your personality. No, it actually makes you be able to fucking function. Right? Like, yeah. that's, that's what it did for me. And then, eventually, like, I, you know, became more sort of open... I would do this like litmus test when I met people to see if they had anxiety or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and then once I felt like I could tell them, I'd be like, I have it too. It was like this weird, like secret society, you know? Sure. And then yeah. eventually when I had kids, I was like, I'm really tired of being in the closet about this. Mm -hmm. And so I had been blogging. Right. And I was like, you know what? I now write for the Huffington post as a blogger. Now mm -hmm. I have a platform People are paying attention to me because I had an article go viral, right? Yeah. Three-year-olds are assholes. So I was like, all right, I want to talk about something that means something to me. 
So I wrote this article called Finding Against the Stigma of Mental Illness. And the first sentence of that article is, I have panic disorder. And it yeah. was the first time that I'd ever said it out loud in quotes, mm -hmm. right, on the internet. And I was like, this feels really freeing. And I just ripped it. Like, I just told my whole story. And I had people writing me from, like, everywhere. I, and it was so strange. Like, this woman from South America was like, thank you so much for writing this. I, I identify. Um, I wish there was a place I could share my story. And I started looking online to find a centralized location for people to share their stories about living with mental illness. And surprisingly, I couldn't find anything. And mm -hmm. this was back in, like, 2014. So, okay. and then at the same, at the same time, I was getting separated from my ex yeah. and my lawyer was telling me, don't talk about your life on your blog. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I want to talk about something. So the timing was great because I was like, okay, well, I want to create a platform for people living with mental illness. I can't talk about myself. So why don't I do that now? So uh -huh. I created stigmafighters.com. I opened it up to people I already knew were living with mental illness in the blogging community and it was like, hey, I know you're bipolar, will you write for me? Mm -hmm. And some people were, did it and some people were like, I'm so awesome and busy and I don't want to do it and I was like, okay, whatever. And then the funny thing is later, the awesome people were like, when Stigma Fighters took off, they were like, actually, yes, I do yeah. want to write for Stigma Fighters. And so, you know, because... People don't necessarily want to write for free, but to me, that was guest posting, right? Like guest posting yeah, yeah. back in the yeah. day, right? Aaron knows, like we as bloggers, like we didn't used to ask to get paid for guest posts. That would be weird, yeah. you know. So like, I'm used to the world of blogging where I'd be like, hey, can I interview you on my blog? Or hey, can I guest mm -hmm. post on your blog? So. A lot of people were like, cool, man, like, I know you. I have a lot of online blogging friends that were like, awesome, you know, mm -hmm. because in the blogging community back in the day, it used to be about like, you know, teamwork and friends and things. Now everyone wants money all the time. But yeah. anyway, so then through this whole like asking people to share their story, which we all know that everyone likes to talk about themselves. That's like that that's one true. of the things that's beneficial about Stigma Fighters. It's like. I, literally, yeah. I've been like on Twitter, someone's in their profile, they're like, anxiety or bipolar. I'll be like, hello, would you like to write a thousand words about yourself? And they're like, yes, yeah. I would like to write a thousand words about myself. You know what I mean? Like, who's going to yeah. say no to that? Who the fuck yeah. is going to say no? It's like, yes, I like myself and I or I don't and I want to complain about it. So yeah. th that's the thing, right? So people generally, when I would randomly cold call in quotes people on Twitter who are open about it. They would be like, awesome, because they people like that, you know? Yeah. So then I met Allie Burke through the, the uh, internet world. I met her through, like, a fellow writer, and she has paranoid mm. schizophrenia. Okay. Um, she's a best-selling author of this book, Paper Souls, talking mm -hmm. about living with paranoid schizophrenia. It's a fictionalized work based upon her life. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with her writing, and I was like, please, please write for Stigma Fighters. And she yeah. did. She did. And then we became best friends over time because I just, I just, she's, it was like soulmate material. I was like, I know you, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was like bi-coastal. I was in New York. She was in LA. We started talking every day. And then I was like, you want to develop this into something bigger than 
an, an online platform and she was like yeah yeah I do and I'm like do you want to help me found, found a nonprofit she was like mm -hmm. awesome and she has project management experience like I'm the crazy creative disorganized one and she's like sure. she's like maybe we shouldn't call people you know 50 times in a row like <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like she's the one that was she like like uh her you know the joke between us is like my anxiety loves her paranoia like yeah. that's our that's our joke together but also <laughs> like again I am not a, an organized person and my whole thing is like Make enough money so you can hire people to do the things that you don't know how to do. Yeah, right? absolutely. My, yeah. my old boss used to say, we're Jews. We hire people to do things. <laughs> and he was right. He was an asshole, but he was right. <laughs> so the thing is that, you know, she has what I lack. I have what she lacks. It's a very symbiotic relationship. Um, I, I think that she also she's really good at a crisis like when we would have things like people attacking us for a variety of reasons because when you work in mental health advocacy you have crazy motherfucking people who are not regulated and you know yeah. like there are people that are that have their shit together that see a therapist that are like you know on top of their game and there are people that are dysregulated and there are people that will severely attack you for no reason you know yeah. so she would handle situations like that Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we used to say, like, so we, our thing used to be, like, in, in Stigma Fighters, we used to be, like, call Allie first, because she would yeah. handle it, because <laughs> I'm really bad at that, like, if somebody gets angry, I'm like, what I do, it's my fault, it's my fault, you know what I yeah, mean, yeah. like, uh, instantly, and that's an anxiety thing, yeah, yeah, you know, completely, like, and, and so, and actually, that's one of the reasons that I created the anxiety hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like, because, mm -hmm. I remember being like, my my default thing with anxiety is like if somebody doesn't call me back or text me back, they either hate me or they're dead. Like it's yeah. not, it's one of those things. Um, anyway, but that's, so that's also my story. the name of your podcast, right? This is what anxiety feels like, correct? Or is it changing? It's Sarah Fader. This okay. is what anxiety. The Sarah Fader podcast. This is what anxiety feels like. But Evan has been on on my podcast so many times that we're kind yeah. of like slash Jews okay. podcasting. <laughs> That's fun. Um, and I assume you met Aaron through Stigma Fighters, yeah? Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. No, um, no, no. We, uh, we met each other on Huffington Post Live. They snagged okay. us to do something about parenting and mental illness. Uh -huh. um, so they interviewed us, and then afterwards, Sarah Cole called me and was mm -hmm. like, hey, do you want to write for Stigma Fighters? Um, I've cool. been writing for... Oh, for now like 10 12 years on my blog um but i but just about five years ago was it five yeah yeah about five years ago i started writing about mental illness on there because i'm diagnosed bipolar i got diagnosed uh -huh. when i was 28 so i didn't know what my life was until then but then i was like oh okay that makes sense now so i started, yeah. I started writing about that mm -hmm. um she asked me to write for stigma fighters i wrote a piece about how how being or how having bipolar makes me feel like less of a dad, less of a man. Um, and she really liked it. And from then on, we just sort of been talking and hanging out and doing mental health advocacy. Well, Aaron is the reason that I found out that I was bipolar because I was like, uh -huh. I like, he was tweeting about like getting separated or whatever. And I, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, if you ever need someone to talk to about that, I have done this. And then, and then I was like, can I call you? Because I think I'm crazy. 
I was like, I think I'm bipolar. And then he was like, sure. And then we became friends and then whatever, had a very weird tumultuous year and then eventually started dating. But it was like a very, it's a very weird story. But anyway, like it could, it could definitely, nobody would believe this story if we told it, like no one would believe it. Like, like okay. basically his ex stalked me on the internet and now she's one of my best friends. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. And so um, you both, and like I know yours is more recent, and I want to get to yours in a minute. But Aaron, um, you received your diagnosis really late in life, and how did that make you feel regarding like did that invalidate other problems that you had prior, or how did you take that news, as it were? It actually made my life make sense because then uh -huh. I, looked, I was twenty eight, so you do a bunch of crazy stuff when you're in your early twenties. But I did some really crazy stuff in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. And I looked back at my life and I was like, oh, I was manic. That made mm -hmm. sense. And then, then there was other times when like like two days after like I was feeling on top of the world, I wanted to kill myself. And this was horrible. And nothing made sense. And, and I was really religious at the time into evangelical Christianity. And so there was this whole God element of like, God's abandoned me and I've done something wrong. And this whole like, like self-deprecation thing. And then when I got diagnosed, it all sort of made sense. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, that wasn't a spiritual problem. That was my that was my bipolar acting up. And, yeah. and just looking back at my life and seeing why I've been so emotional at times, uh, why I've spent so much money, like crazy money for no reason at times, um, just it, it made things make sense. And then I learned how to differentiate it my own identity so I'd say that I'm uh, I'm not I'm not bipolar but mm -hmm. I have bipolar and, yeah. that, and that was really helpful for me as well um, just in sort of like I said making sense of my life and like what works and what doesn't so yeah you know that's it's really funny like mentioning the money thing because I felt the same way where things started falling into place because my friend Donna was like I, I was like yeah I, I'm bipolar right and she's mm -hmm. like, I always thought there was something weird and sparkly about you, but I couldn't figure mm -hmm. out what it was. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Like in college, when I got a refund check for my student loan that was overpaid for $4,000, and I spent it in three days. That's not normal. Oh. <laughs> like, that's completely... Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a TV and a VCR combo and mm -hmm. dresses from Betsy Johnson and vinyl Doc Martens and lots and lots of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Like, that's absolutely. just not yeah. a normal thing that people do. Welcome to mania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And, and then my dad, um, oh, the best thing was my dad was like, did you get a check from Sally Mae? And I was like, oh, um, I just spent that. <laughs> he was like, well, now you have to set, now you got to get another loan. Yeah, you know, and like I, um, Sarah, and like I, I were talking, uh, Sarah, you and I were talking about, like, uh, the other day about like when I was all three of us had bipolar disorder, which is kind of fun. This will see, we'll see how this but um, my solution when I have that like really deep need to like spend money, and I was talking to you about it, I go to the dollar store, I blow five dollars on like what feels like a lot of stuff, but isn't anything, and then I can go home. Um, and Sarah, you're. Your um, diagnosis of bipolarity is more recent, and as someone who started their mental health journey with a different diagnosis and has recently received something different, how does that make you feel and how did you respond to that? Okay, I have been telling my psychiatrist for years, I'm like, I think I'm bipolar, and he's like, no, you're just depressed, and I was like, 
I don't think so. And he's like, <laughs> uh, no. And I, and I would be like, I'd be like, yeah, but like, I have these periods where I feel like really happy. And he's like, yeah, that's just relief from depression. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> and I, kept, I literally was like, I have bipolar. And finally, finally, I had this crazy manic episode last year where it was like fucking so obvious. Aaron was talking to me during that time and he was like, yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I was fucking high as a kite. Like, I, seriously, it was springtime, very typical, okay. mania coming out yep. in the spring versus serotonin. I wrote a book proposal in two hours. I was like, raising wow. money like crazy, flying people in for the Stigma Fighters reading. Like, I was so cracked out. I went to speak at my old high school. And I was talking, like, a mile a minute, more than ADHD. Like, like yeah. nobody knew. This dude didn't know what I was talking about, the guy that hired sure. me to speak. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing during the speech. I was like, I'm going to sing Everclear. He's like, don't do that. Just don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, <you can't."> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and, I, and I, of course, like, you're manic, right? So you think you're a genius. Mm. You're like, everything's amazing. Yeah. And, you, and you feel like you're the Hulk. You're, like, 10 feet tall. Mm -hmm. You can take on anybody. And, and no yeah. one understands, and then people are looking at you like you're crazy, and you're like, I'm not fucking crazy, you crazy. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's this weird feeling that cannot, no one really can understand it unless you're bipolar. Like, it's a yeah. very specific feeling where you feel, mm -hmm. like we were talking about a Sparkle, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, that's my um, executive assistant. So it's like, yeah. she's, she's bipolar one. It's mm. this really weird feeling where you have, like, this crazy inflated self-confidence, you know, and you're just like, I'm so awesome. No one can touch me. And so finally, for me, when I had that manic episode and I'm sitting in front of my psychiatrist and he's like, this is mania, right? And, I'm, <laughs> and like, like yeah. literally, he's, like, looking at me like I'm a child. And then yeah. someone knocks on the door and I'm like, who's that? And I'm, like, super paranoid. Yeah. He's like, you, yeah. need, you need to take some Seroquel. <laughs> you know <Yeah>. and <laughs> he's like i'm gonna prescribe like i'm seriously like i'm five years old i'm gonna prescribe you seroquel and mm -hmm. you're gonna take it and i was like okay like i'm so out of mm -hmm. it right you're gonna go on yeah. lamictal we're gonna you know like we're gonna and thank god by the way that that lithium is not like the thing anymore right like yeah, yeah. thank god because i never want to touch that shit like i yeah lamictal is yep. is amazing i love lamictal's great team lamictal you know, a buddy of mine's on lithium. Um, no. He's bipolar too, as well. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how we sort of congregate together. Yeah, like there's this yeah. bipolar magnet to yes. us. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's on he's on lithium, and his problem is when it gets off on his blood. Yeah, he doesn't notice yeah. it right away, so he'll start going into a depressive episode or hypomania, and then he's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, I gotta go get adjusted." Yeah. And I'm just I'm yeah. so glad that that uh that I don't have to do that because I wouldn't. Nope. I, I don't think I'm self-aware enough to be able to say, oh, this is what's happening. I would just be like, my life is over. My yeah. meds aren't yeah. working anymore. Oh, my God. It's terrible. And the, and the thing about lithium yeah. to me is, like, why would you... Okay, it's the same thing as Prozac, right? Like, Prozac is a fucking dinosaur now. There are so many yeah. different medicines. Why do we need... Lithium, to me, is, like, prehistoric. Why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. We have antipsychotics. Like, what is yeah. wrong with people? Why... And plus, it has so many side effects. Like, over time, lithium can really fuck your body up. Like, I don't want to yeah. deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Not to say that antipsychotics don't. But, like, yeah. they're way less than lithium. 
you know? Yeah. Bipolar meds suck a lot of the time because it's like, okay, like, would you rather be fat or crazy? Like, which one do you want? Yeah. You know? And, and I mean... <laughs> why not both? Why not? <laughs> or both. I mean, whatever. But that's the thing mm-hmm. is, like, I don't take Seroquel unless I'm in an episode. Like, and that, yeah. that's the way that my psychiatrist works because I don't need it right, right? Unless I'm hypomanic, I don't... Mm-hmm. Bipolar disorder, and a good psychiatrist is going to tell you this, bipolar disorder is a sleep disorder. If, yes. you, if you sleep you will not go into mania or hypomania. But to get your brain to shut off is very mm-hmm. challenging, which is why yeah. antipsychotics work. They go, go to sleep, right? They, they tell your brain, mm-hmm. go to sleep. And that's that's what Zyprexa does. That's what Cerebral mm-hmm. does. Theoretically, that's what Abilify does, but to him, it's activating. Yeah, I take my Abilify yeah. in the morning, and it's like, but if I don't take it, I'm so groggy and everything like that. But if yeah. I do take it, then I'm like, oh, I, it's like a cup of coffee for me, so uh, yeah. I, I hated don't know, it. I don't know why it works that way, but yeah. it does. I hated Abilify. I absolutely hated it so much. Like every, people have different reactions. I also hated Wellbutrin. People are like Wellbutrin for for bipolar depression. No, but he loves it. Also, really yeah. interesting that you're keying in on is like not only are like personalities different when you have an illness, also the, just the genetic component is different from patient to patient, which is what makes like. I think psychiatry hard in general is like what's good for this person isn't good and that's why going back to your other point I think that why lithium is still used because it's a kind of gold standard they're like the there's it's been tested out for so many years but I also do agree that the side effects are so severe that it probably should be eventually phased out or for very severe that's the thing now lamictal is considered the mm-hmm. gold standard in terms of mood stabilization oh, and mm-hmm. um the thing i was going to say is uh, there's a conflicted view on this but i recommend that if you have a psychiatrist that does genetic testing to get it done mm-hmm. because yeah. it will tell you what medications you metabolize the best and what's going to work mm-hmm. best for you so that's Best-y. why i know what works for me right mm-hmm. I I have a weird mutation that means that I metabolize SSRIs at a very high rate. I can't remember what it's called. It's like CD9 something something. So I that's why I take Effexor with Lamictal. Yeah. I take Effexor, Lamictal, and um, Seroquel when I'm in an episode, and then Vyvanse for ADHD. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is that if you don't know what your system metabolizes best, you're playing trial and error. So why not take the genetic testing? Which was so much yeah. fun, the trial and error. Amazing. I, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you. Because yeah. I started off I started off actually on Effexor. Yeah. Um, and it worked great. But then I had to, I, I didn't have insurance, so I had to petition the drug companies each each month. Yeah. Ooh. And I had to go off of it and go back on it every month. That's horrible. Which was horrible. But then, yeah. then the other thing was it just stopped working for me. Right. Like, just mm-hmm. flat out, like... Okay, but were you on it exclusively? Was that it? Yeah. You see, that's the thing. I think, okay, so because you're bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Effexor did the same thing for me. It was great and then stopped. Right. And now I know why, Right. So like lamictal and effects are together work. Right, right. And right. But for yeah. me, for me, effects are just stop, stop completely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then a couple years later, I got on respiradone because I was poor, and uh, and and respiradone was horrible. Like it was, it, oh my god, I could not stay awake on it. Um, How do you I, even work on respiradone? I, have, I, I don't have understand. No clue. But but then mm-hmm. then I got a then I I got insurance. Luckily, I got a I got Medicaid. 
and um, mm-hmm. it uh, it allowed me to go see a, a psychiatrist that was like, okay, let's start here. And they started with yeah. addressing my depression since, for me, that's the biggest symptom in my bipolar. Yeah. I don't have manic yeah. episodes too often. I have depression most often. Right. Um, so they started off with some Wellbutrin. They started off with... And everything they started off with really worked, but they had to amp it up yeah. until finally yeah. I'm on this cocktail. I, I have a panic disorder as well. So I have like six different meds that I take. But e- even though even though that seems like a lot, it works for me. And finally, like it was the beginning of this year when I finally got my panic under my panic disorder under control with uh, with another med because I've been losing jobs from panic because um, I you can't show up to work if you're having a panic attack and if you can't yeah. show up to work they're like well you can't work here well you well you can but you wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah, just let me sit there in a fetal position and just be like, yeah. "Oh my god!" I just kind of shaking, crying. Yeah, shaking. I'm on the phone because I was on. I was doing customer service at the time. So, be like, thank you for calling in. <laughs> I, I hope you have a wonderful day. Exactly. Oh god, exactly. Yeah. I know. Now, so can you imagine? Can you imagine? Right, like that state of mind. That's how I went yeah. to high school every day. Like Ooh, that. Don't understand. My mom. I'd be like, I want to stay home. I want to stay home. I want to stay home. And I literally, my mom was like, nope, you cannot yeah. stay home. And, and I was like, you know, my, my therapist now is like, mm-hmm. I think it's prostaglandins. She was like, there's such thing as the anxiety shits, right? Like yeah. you, you get like you vomit or have diarrhea because of anxiety. That's me. Yeah. All the GI stuff, <laughs> right? I got the fucking yeah. battle GI things. Yeah. Anxiety can make you feel like you're dying. And what happened to yeah. me, I think we talked about this, is like, I would have that in high school, I would have that really bad. Like, I would feel like like I couldn't move, I was sweating, I was shaking, I, w- I thought I was gonna die. And my mom was like, yeah, you still have to go to school. And I was like, okay. Ooh. And I was like non-functional, right? So like, yeah. but that's how I had to get through high school. I didn't have a fucking choice. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that but I'm so glad she made me do that because I saw that I could. And so yeah. the thing is, is now it's awful. I don't wish it upon my worst enemy to feel like that. But like, I, I don't, I don't have a choice, right? I have to keep doing things. I got to raise my kids. I got to, got to function, etc. And I was going to say about panic. Panic is just, oh, right, right. Okay. So I used to have physical symptoms in, in high school, but then when I, when I had my kids, it started developing into um, somatization. So I would have like like somatic symptoms. So I would have, so like literally my whole back of my head would feel like it was burning on fire. Or like, you know, I would have whole body numbness and tingling. Or I couldn't tell the difference between mind and body. Mm -hmm. What was anxiety and what wasn't? But here's the thing. This is where medical professionals fail. Because even if you are somaticizing, it's still a medical condition. You're still dealing yeah. with anxiety. It's manifesting differently, but it's real mm-hmm. to you. So kind of yeah. minimizing it and saying, literally, I was told this many times, it's just anxiety. Okay, but you know what? Just anxiety can make you feel like you're dying. Just yeah. anxiety can make you feel really awful. And you might mm-hmm. not be able to tell the difference between anxiety and a heart attack, anxiety, and something, and and like a brain problem, right? Like another neurological problem. 
And, yep. and once you have anxiety in your medical chart, nobody is going to believe anything that comes out of your mouth. Hmm. They're going to think that you have, that it's anxiety. Interesting. You are screwed because yeah. a lot of the time, and, and if you're a woman, absolutely, you're histrionic, right? <laughs> you, you are making yeah. this up. This is all in your head. You're dramatic. You're exaggerating. Mm -hmm. Stop being so dramatic because that's not real. That's anxiety. Guess what? I have, I have something to tell you. Anxiety is real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Aaron, I got a question for you as well because you said you grew up really evangelical and, and really religious. And I was wondering if at any point when you had a manic episode, it manifested itself in a way where you seemed like God had chosen you for anything and like what that experience with mental health and religion was like. So, basically, I had it tied to my spiritual life because I, I, I didn't know how else to, to understand what was going on with me. So, anytime mm -hmm. there was a depression, it was one of two things. Either I had sinned and I was far away from God and separated by that, or yeah. it was an attack by a demonic force. Interesting. Because, okay. that, I mean, that's what depression was. And, and depression mm -hmm. can feel that way of just like something clawing at your brain and putting thoughts in your head that aren't there and so understanding understanding it through a spiritual lens it was like some enemy doing stuff to me um, but then when I go manic I, I've only gone hypomanic I've never gone full mm -hmm. manic so I never had this full-blown like I am prophet of God hello mm -hmm. but I did always <laughs> believe that when I've when I felt up there I always believed that my ideas as far as what church could be um, because I was always pushing up against the system of like something's wrong, it needs to change, and I always felt like I could do it better. I could, I could mm -hmm. fix it. I could do this stuff. And when I felt hypomanic, I was sure of it, and I was full of myself, mm -hmm. and I was confident, and I could preach, and I could do all of this stuff. And then I would crash into depression, and I wouldn't feel like I could do anything. But I would still have to show up and teach and preach and do things, yeah. and it was it was just a mess because everything was tied into my spirituality, which was then tied mm. into my self worth. So I had a yeah. lot of stuff going back and forth of like, I'm a horrible person. This is, uh, you know, God's far away from me. God, oh my God, God I'm a horrible me. person. That's like every day in my life I have that thought. At least right? fifty times Welcome a day. To it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and so when I got that diagnosis, it um, it helped make sense of that stuff, and it helped me sort of differentiate myself from my spirituality, so yeah. that I wasn't tying my self worth to it, and and also so I was able to say, this is depression, this is a medical mm -hmm. condition, this isn't some yeah. spiritual attack, this isn't some separation from God, this isn't something horrible like that, it's a medical condition, and what's really funny is um, uh, one time when I was when I was in church, uh, the pastor referred somebody to me to talk about mental illness and stuff because they had questions about whether or not it was okay to take uh, to take SSRIs, to take psych meds, to take all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I told them uh, we we had a gentleman in the in the um, church who had a brain tumor and he had to get it taken out and it changed some things in his personality a little bit. Um, and I mm -hmm. told her that your personality gets changed by these illnesses and then you have these drugs that come in right. and help you with it. So I totally believed that all of this stuff was good for you and that 
mm-hmm. it was very real. I, I never I never doubted mental illness or anything like that. But it wasn't for me. Like sure. I, like I wasn't the mentally ill one. I it was just a spiritual thing for me, which is really yeah. weird that I felt that way. But that's kind of how it was for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and how do you feel about like using? using religion as like a metaphor to try and teach about mental health because you could i think make a pretty strong argument and this is also like through art or whatever um have you like you could use like the analogies you were using that there's an outside force beyond you because it is an illness it is not part of you it's not a personal failing i feel like the problem with religion when we do that is we end up we end up tying it to our self worth just like I was doing, because because when you grow up and you're indoctrinated into this stuff, um, performance becomes the way of proving that you're a good person, and even yeah. though they all say you know well it's not performance based it's all it's all grace it's all whatever mm-hmm. the 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 way that it's actually functioning on the ground is performance based. And so when you say there's something outside of you doing this, one of two things happens. One, you end up feeling weak, like you're not doing enough because something outside is happening to you. Or two, you're convinced that that this is happening to you for a reason. And when you convince yourself that it's happening to you for a reason, then, then one of two things happens. You either are like, well, I'm chosen, so I'm being tested. Or you end up... Or you end up kind of in the place that I was for a couple of years of just being like, this is happening for a reason, but I can't figure out the reason, so I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, think, I think if when religion gets involved with mental illness, and I, I write about this a lot on my blog, I write about this a lot everywhere I can, when religion gets involved with mental illness, I think it's best for religion to say, we don't have the answer, medical yeah. professionals do. Yeah, um, because that absolutely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because Aaron just wrote this article. Uh, did you mention it? No. no. He wrote an article, Three Reasons Jesus is Not an Antidepressant. Uh-huh. And, okay. And that is about the fact that people assume if you just pray more, if you believe in Jesus mm-hmm. more, then you can get better from depression. And, mm-hmm. that, and I mean... It's like this to me. It's on par with the which Aaron loves the essential oil people on Twitter. Oh, I love them. Yeah, yeah. they're so fantastic. Yeah. If you just like, <laughs> if you just like, if you like, have like lavender oil and like breathe it, like you'll be so less anxious and you won't mm-hmm. have panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I do have. Um, a, I do have a question as well for both of you. Is like, how do you guys feel about people? Like, because I grew up religious, and and often that does make me. And I'm less religious now, but I still believe in a God and that sort of thing. And it does make me feel better about my place in the universe and that sort of thing. And it does give me hope. And how do you find the balance between those two? And how do you feel about people when, like, when being part of a faith or part of a, part of a community like that does give, does make people feel better? How do you feel about that? Okay, so I was raised yeah. Jewish, and I believe yeah. in God. I still believe in God. I believe that there is, you know, that God is out there and, and bigger than us and, you know, watching mm-hmm. over us. And I mm-hmm. also believe in just a lot of different, like, spiritual things. 
Um, as much as I want to respect all belief systems, it's really difficult for me to get behind atheists because I feel like you have to believe in something, even if it's like dishwashing liquid. Like you have to believe in like something. And I feel like a lot of the atheists, I've just met a lot of angry yeah. atheists on Twitter, for yeah. example. Like, why, sure. why are you so angry? Like, it's okay that you don't believe in God. I don't care. You know, but mm -hmm. I feel like, and I'm not saying all atheists are, are like, confusing to me, but some of them don't yeah. make sense yeah. to me. Like, I yeah. just, yeah. I mean, to me, even if you believe in science or evolution or mm -hmm. something, like, believe in yeah. something. Have a moral focus. Yeah. And so Have to, a moral focus. Right. So God, to me, makes me feel like just, I, like, I resonate with what you said. God, believing in God makes me feel grounded. It makes me feel, like, connected to something. I think that I would like to get back in touch mm -hmm. with my faith mm -hmm. in some ways. I haven't found, I mean, I just moved here, right? But I haven't found a community yeah. of like that, yeah. I, that I resonate with in terms of like a temple, synagogue, etc. But I think that no matter what you believe, believe yeah. in something. That's, that's what I can say. Yeah. And I think that okay. if you, to me, I don't see different religions as segregating. I see them as wow we all believe mm. in something and mm. and i think if you believe in if you have a fundamental core belief in something higher than you it enriches yeah. your life that's how i look at yeah. it and and i don't think that mental illness and spirituality are exclusive i don't believe like god is punishing you because you're bipolar like i believe that in my deepest moments of pain right when i really wanted to fucking mm -hmm. die i prayed mm -hmm. hard yeah. right and i was like god yeah. please help me feel better give me something that i can hang on to and sometimes that was the only thing that yeah. kept me alive is being yeah. like you know what i don't know and i'm at the mercy of whatever this is and and i it's like when you have okay so my example is and you know if this is a very female thing but like mm -hmm. giving birth you have mm -hmm. to relent yeah. to that pain there is yeah. nothing that you can do except mm -hmm. feel it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like anything, mm -hmm. and for you guys, like whatever, breaking a bone. Um, there's there's things that you don't have control yeah. over pain-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing yeah. goes for mental illness. You could be horribly depressed, and there's only so much that you can do. And that's why mm -hmm. prayer and, and relenting mm -hmm. to that and giving that to God, like somebody told me that one time, I can't remember who it was, but it really did help me, like, give your pain mm -hmm. to god be like you mm -hmm. know what i feel this pain and i'm gonna ask god to mm -hmm. take it or 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 mm -hmm. give it you know what i mean like i can't yeah. control it but i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna release it somehow if that makes any sense Don't push it away. That's that's the biggest yeah. thing. To me, for so long, I ran from panic. I ran yeah. from, I was like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want it to be a part of me. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But the thing mm -hmm. is, is that if the more you push it away and run, the stronger it comes back. So, yeah. so like, I accepted that I was experiencing it. I externalized it. Like, we, we were talking about, right? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't accept it as, like, part of me, but my experience. Yeah. And so... Yeah. To be, to like not run, like, okay, 
I could like close my eyes and pretend like I'm not sitting in this chair. Am I still sitting yeah. in the chair? Yes. I mean, yep. why pretend? That's what acting is for. You know, like yeah. it's you could pretend all you want. Where's that going to get you, really? Into a place of pain and denial, and and it's going to further make you feel bad about your situation, yourself, mm-hmm. and you're not going to gain emotional insight. So yeah. if you if you're real with yourself and you say, "I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I'm anxious," whatever, wherever you are, own it, because if you're starting from that place, then you can heal. Or at least manage what's happening. Maybe you don't yeah. have the answer. That's okay. But own where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. There. So I, I go back into the realm of, of science and medicine and things like that. Mm-hmm. I got a really complicated relationship with church. Like it's really complicated. Yeah. But, but I believe that religion, no, no matter what religion, religion can benefit people. There, there's been studies that have shown. Mm-hmm how the brain develops depending on what your version of God is, whether he's a judgmental asshole or whether he's um, or whether he's a loving, kind God. And that actually shapes your brain. So when it comes yeah. to mental illness, I think religion and mental illness or mental health can coincide and it can be one reason why people get better or one reason why people hold on. It can be one reason. But to make it the sole reason or the only yeah. reason, I think that's where the problem comes in when we when we expect religion to do more than it's supposed to do. You know, mm-hmm. when, when we expect it to fix us, when we expect it to make us all better, we expect it to make us happy, we end up chasing happiness, doing all of this stuff, and it, it just doesn't work. But, I mean, the, the practice of mindfulness um, coincides a lot with prayer, coincides a lot with um, meditation, mm-hmm. things like that, and you you can, you can conflate the two, and you you can use the two and say, you know, I'm talking to God and I'm doing this, but I'm also trusting science and taking my meds because religion isn't going to fix the problem. It's mm-hmm. only going to be one way for me to connect with the solution. Absolutely, I I very much agree with that. I don't um, even, you know what I don't even know that this is what I've been thinking about lately. Because, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, Overthinkers Anonymous. Um, <laughs> I, what I've been thinking about lately is, like, do we really even have to fix the problem? Maybe not. You know, I mean, mm. I don't know that, that these things are problems to be fixed. I think that it's more about acceptance of what is. To a certain degree, yeah. But at the same time, we do have to address the symptoms and we have to address the, the havoc that they cause in our life. We, there, there's people that, 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 that talk about um, neurotypical people and non-neurotypical people and say that mental illness is just a non-neurotypical and there's nothing really wrong with it. But at the same time, I have to question, I'm like, bipolar has, has wrecked havoc in my life in so many ways mm-hmm. through relationships, through finances, um, through losing jobs, all of this stuff. So. While we don't have to say that we can, we don't have to solve the problem necessarily and like get rid of it. We do have to address it at some level. We can't just ignore it and say, "Oh, it's it, it, it it's how I am." No, so everything's yeah. okay. It's not an excuse. Is that a, that's 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 the thing. It's not an excuse. Right. I think it's about management. Right. You're never going to get rid of diabetes, yeah. but you're going to manage it. 
Yeah. You're never going to get rid of things, right? I think it's management and it's acknowledgement of what is rather than hiding from mm -hmm. it. I mean, you could hide from it, sure, right? Your, your life is going to get really bad. But I mean, like, yeah. it, it's just about acknowledgement. And I remember, okay, here's an example. My psychiatrist wrote on some kind of a, like, uh, receipt paper, mm -hmm. my diagnosis, OCD with insight, right? Mm -hmm. So my thing was, like, well, who has OCD without insight? You know, like... <laughs> Like, and yeah. so to me, that's the thing is that mm -hmm. do you know what's happening to you and what can yeah. you do with what's happening to you? Right. That, yeah. no that knowledge can do one of two things. It can either scare the shit out of you mm -hmm. or it can empower mm -hmm. you to actually take, take control of your life and not just let things happen to you, not just react, but respond. Because mm -hmm. um, when you don't know, I mean, if you, if you don't know, if you don't have insight, if you don't have whatever it is, it just sort of runs you ragged and takes control and does all of this stuff. But once you become self-aware about it, then you can start managing things. And you come to a place where you say there might not be the solution, the magic pill, the magic bullet. But you can say, I don't have to be a victim of my mental illness. Mm -hmm. I don't have to let my mental illness control me. I can actually strive for mental health instead of just letting mental illness run the race. Well, I mean, I love Aaron. Aaron's quote, I always quote him all the time, and he's like, I don't even know why this is awesome, but it is. Um, mental, mental illness is what we live with, and mental health is what we strive for. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, to me, that's so, that's so true. And also, mm -hmm. think about life, right? Is there one solution to life and life's yeah. problems? No. Ice cream. Yes. Yes. That, that's, that's always what you I say. I think we solved it, guys. Except, I think we solved it. Except if you are lactose intolerant, then you're fucked. That's fair. Um, oh, yeah. No, but then you can eat nasty vegan ice cream. But the, mm. thing, but the thing is, is that it's the same thing with mental illness. Yeah. There is no one solution. There's no yeah. one trick pony. It's going to be whatever it is yeah, for you. I think you both kind of touched on this idea that's kind of floating around in the cultural zeitgeist right now. It's like um, fault versus responsibility. It's not your fault that you're mentally ill, but it's your responsibility to manage it, manage it and be productive. And you, because you are responsible for yourself and probably a few other people. And that's important to own up to that because you can't just let yourself say, well, I'm the victim here. Let me live. It's fine. You have to go, okay, well, we have these cultural norms that I do have to adhere to. Here are the ones that I can kind of get away with. And, like, here are the... And you have to do... You, I think managing it is also a really good word for it. Um, no, I was, you know what I was going to say? Um, yeah. Go, go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was just saying, I, I think at some level... At some level, when we take responsibility for it, as people in the mental health community, with mental mm -hmm. illness, things like that, we have to challenge the cultural norms at some level. Sure. But in order to do that, we have to take responsibility for what is ours. Right. Yeah. That's true. Well, I was going to say, in, in college, I studied philosophy, and that's why I'm so wealthy right now. Um, so, <laughs> so um, they're one of the most interesting dichotomy is that I studied was free will versus determinism. Yeah. Uh, now, I believe in compatibilism, which combines the two. However, if we just look at free will, mm -hmm. free will 
and responsibility that those are those are intertwined when you talk about philosophy free will and responsibility because when you have the free will to make your own decisions what happens after that is responsibility for those yep. actions right yep so that's that is why those things are always mentioned together right so it doesn't yep. matter if you believe that things are predetermined it doesn't matter if you believe that it's a combination of the two where so that that's what i believe right is that you have free will however determinism is that th depending on okay so the, right determinism determinism is like fate if you believe yeah. in fate that's determinism if you believe yeah. in free will it means that you believe that you can choose what your what your destiny is so i believe in a combination which means that you can choose something and depending on what you choose it's like a choose your own adventure so this is the path sure. that you go down and then this happens mm -hmm. and then this happens and then this happens but here's the yeah. thing it doesn't matter what you believe because you have responsibility for what happens to you based upon yeah. your actions and that's yeah. why they intertwine those two things if you do not take responsibility for what you have done you're an asshole yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true yeah, you know what i mean that's the that's the quote that i'm gonna pull for this episode. yes please <laughs> yeah. no but it's true and i actually yeah, wrote an, an article on psychology today that I have to republish for a multitude of reasons called yeah. mental illness does not give you an excuse to be an asshole meaning mm -hmm. exactly what I just articulated if you, if <laughs> yeah. you do something yeah. and you blame it on your mental illness that is not an excusable thing right yeah. so so like yeah okay so I have bipolar disorder and I was mean to you I don't get a pass yeah. You still have to deal with the fallout from that. And that's also, like, I think the most clear version of that is, like, AA programs. Because, like, alcoholism is classified now as, like, a health issue. And you do have to, during those programs, go back and reconcile and admit fault because that's the only way you can move forward. Yeah. I mean, but um, see, it doesn't, and this is the thing, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a mental illness or not. You, as human beings, if you want to be a morally upright person, someone who is yeah. an ethically and morally sound individual, it would behoove you to take responsibility for what you have done. Because if yeah. you do not do that, then you are not being empathetic to someone else's situation. You are not actually looking at things from all sides because that is what is going to maintain relationships is if you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you are also able to see your side. The other, yeah. the other thing of responsibility is without taking responsibility, you can't take control of your situation. So yeah. when it comes to mental health, mental illness, when it comes to any of that, if you really want to be in control of it and you really want to take you really want to take ownership of it and say these are my symptoms this is how I'm going to th this is what I'm going to do about my symptoms you have to take responsibility for your actions and the fallout from those actions good or bad right because if you don't then you're still just letting you're letting mental illness run the game right and you have no say over what it does to you because you're just like, no, my hands are tied. I'm, I'm mentally ill. Yeah. Not only that, yeah. but here's another thing that, that people need to understand. You do not have to shame yourself. So if right. you take mm -hmm. responsibility for something you've done, you're not a bad person. You're not wrong. You just are simply saying, this is the action that I took, and this is the consequence of the action that I took. It doesn't mean that you're bad or wrong. 
it means that you did yeah. something and there was a consequence. Yeah. 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 Um, I can definitely agree with that. And, like, also, like, yeah, you just have to say, I made a mistake. I failed somehow. If it's that big of a deal or if it's just, like, you misspoke, you can just go, well, I misspoke. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you just, if you own up to mistakes and you try and reconcile as best you can with the person you hurt, that's the most important part of it. That and also labeling yourself as a loser, as a failure, blah, 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 mm -hmm. that doesn't help. So you can no, say, my dad said to me, and I think this that stuck with me in, in a very positive way, it, mm -hmm. it's the action. It's not the label yeah. of the person, right? So I made, I, I made a mistake. I'm not like a failure, right? A loser mm -hmm. or whatever it is. I, you could say I failed, right? That's fine. Yeah. That's an action. It's yes. not a judgment upon yourself. As, as a label, like I'm not entirely a bad person. I did something that hurt somebody. I made an action. Label the action, not the I agree. person. And like, I think that also comes down to like, I think you talked gravely about like the difference between like a personality and an illness and how you both compartmentalize. I'm not mentally ill, I have a mental illness, things like that. And that's also how I view like, I do a multitude of artistic things and I write, I act, I podcast. I'm not a writer, I'm not an actor, I'm not a podcaster. And I think the more you can not exactly distance yourself from yourself, but not define yourself and and slot it and make it concrete, because that doesn't encourage growth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And it's and also think about other things mm -hmm. in your life. Am I only a woman? Mm -hmm. No. I'm a woman, mm -hmm. I'm a writer, I'm a sister, I'm a mother, right? All of these different things. I'm a things. lover and I'm I a sinner. I can't name I'm a lover right. and I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm a joker. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. Um, yeah. Great minds. I can't yeah. name one human being that has a singular mm -hmm. role. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, think, I think it also goes, goes into a little bit deeper when you start getting in, like, core beliefs that yeah. people have. And yeah. a lot of times, I mean... I see this most clearly when I'm when I'm talking about my mental mm -hmm. health because this is mm -hmm. where I this is where I struggle. I'm dealing with core beliefs right now in therapy, mm -hmm. which is a huge mm -hmm. thing. It's hard, it's big, but it's also helping me differentiate the true self that I have from the thoughts yeah. that I have and from the beliefs Absolutely. that I have. And in, in doing that, it also helps me even more so differentiate between me and my mental mm -hmm. illness. It helps me differentiate between me and my writing, between me and my fatherhood, between me and yeah. it helps. So when you do that, you can shore up this idea of who you are that's not tied to thoughts or actions or deeds. And you can say, this is who I am. These other things are peripherals and they don't necessarily change my worth, my value. They don't have to shame me. And all of that stuff leads to better mental health. Absolutely. No matter who you are, Absolutely. whether you're neurotypical or yeah. not, it's going to lead yeah. you to better mental health, better status in just in life. You're going to be more secure. You're going to be mm -hmm. more um, yeah. together. You're not going to be yeah. scattered. You're not going to be taking it out on other people. Taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Again, that's what it comes back yeah. to. I'm, I'm more and more yeah. convinced that there's no such thing as neurotypical. Sure. Like, I, uh, I, sure. I I really feel like I love the word because I'm a mm -hmm. word whore. Like, I love neurotypical. Mm -hmm. It sounds amazing. But at the same time, the bell curve is skewed, as yeah. we talked about in our conversation. Yeah. And I do believe that there are more people that have issues that are not reporting yeah. them, number one. Yeah. And I think that 
I just don't believe that there is a neurotypical person because like, what does that even mean? Like, is there a normal yeah. brain? I don't think that exists. Yeah. It's in a vat somewhere. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. Like, it's like a Cartesian <laughs> situation in which there's a vat, you know, there's an evil demon making us think things like, yeah. yes. And I'm, exactly. I, I agree with that, I do. Like, cause it's kind of a sliding scale and it's kind of like, it's kind of mirrors how like the Kinsey scale in some ways, but it, but also, on the other hand, for, like, a sociological point of, like, what neurotypical means is, like, the average, like, with just the median of how people behave. But I do definitely agree that everyone is somewhere on the spectrum because to be alive is to be anxious. Because, like, anxiety disorders are when it's maladjusted, but everyone should be anxious to make sure that they're going to be alive at a certain level. Yeah, I mean, I think that things like, okay, yes, if somebody is chasing you with a knife, you're going to be experiencing anxiety. And now, yes. if, if you feel like someone's chasing you with a knife and nothing's happening, then you probably have panic disorder. I mean, exactly. I, I think that my baseline of anxiety is very high and higher than an ordinary neurotypical person. Such a great word. Yep. I'm never going to not love that. But I think, <laughs> I think, and that that has been told to me, like, your baseline of anxiety is higher than most most people's. Great, that gives me insight. I, fantastic. It's I'm not happy about that, but it does provide me information into my self knowledge, etc. Mm -hmm. I am so jealous of people who have a normal baseline of non anxietyness. Yeah. You know, yeah. but 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 it's reality. And I don't think there's any shame in living through that. And I think that's kind of the core belief and what you both do. And this is my nice segue in saying we're at an hour, and I want to thank very much both of you for being on. And where can people find your stuff, um, your blogs and whatnot? We mentioned stigma fighters, but what else do you guys got going on? Go first. Uh, you can find me at Cultural Savage on Twitter, on Facebook, and culturalsavage.com is where I write. Mm -hmm. um, that'd probably be the best way to get a hold of me. And Aaron does, okay. uh, we both do professional book coaching, so hire us to help you write a book. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at the Sarah Fader. I am not a pretentious whore. It's just that at Sarah Fader, is, somebody stole it in 2010 and she never uses it. But yeah, mm. at, at, the, at the Sarah Fader and SarahFader.com. Fantastic. I want to thank you very much. What you guys are doing is really, really great, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you.